0: I got you something new. Introducing the new and improved cell phone. Better quality, better sound, better selfies. Get yours today. We love improved things in our culture. I mean, you name it, we like to get out there, get in line, hey, it might be a new phone. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. It's got an extra pixel. I don't know. Maybe it's something that you're excited about, the new video game systems that have come out. Or maybe you're out there and it's some kind of new widget for your for your kitchen or some kind of new gadget. I've seen some cool coffee things that have happened lately. Man, there's always something, whether it's phones, cars, you name it, that we get pumped up about. because. It's new, it's improved, it's the 2021 model, because nobody wants the 2020 models, right? And so the point is that we we love this improvement. I I can remember, maybe you can remember it, that way back, like you used to have the record player, right? You put it out there, you turn it on, and like nice little scratchy sounds you pull that thing off and you listen to the music flip it over and do the same and and then out came the eight track right you go shove it in i remember my parents had a big one Push it in the car and you listen to the songs loop around or then you had the cassette player and i had all those cassettes right plug into my little walkman walk around woohoo enjoy myself and then it was the cd better quality you got all those songs only one side it was incredible and then out came the mp3 player lower quality, but man, you could have all of the ones that you wanted, all on one device, recorded all over the place, it was awesome, right? And now they found out, oh, you can steal all that stuff. So we've gone and improved one more time, and we've come back to, yes, the record, right? It's the most popular thing out there right now. Everybody wants the record. And I find vinyl a funny joke, because we can seem to over-improve ourselves. We can get to a place where we start improving, 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 and it's not really that much of an improvement. So why are we so obsessed about improvements? Why do we love the new and improved all the time? Because we seem to do. And the answer I think comes in a little bit of the fact that we have an overarching narrative in our world of this idea of evolution. And I think the, um, the idea of Darwinian evolution where things can be chaotic and crazy, but then as time and randomness happens, they gather together and they get better and better and improve and improve and improve, gives us the implication that we're on the edge of this. Now we can control this, and if the randomness can make it better, we could do even better than better. We can make even greater improvements. We're going to go from animal to human, from human to superhuman. Oh, we're going to go from the, what the world made to make it even better to, to go to the stars and beyond. Hey, we're going to keep driving ourselves and pushing past things, and we can look to the past then. And we begin to look at what they did and how they did things, we go, that's dumb. We begin to judge them as, as dark ages and, and crazy people and old people. And so we end up with this reality that we think we're better than. But I think this is all a story to mask an issue. It's all a story to mask a problem in our hearts. And if you look at a quick glance of history, you're going to realize something. No matter the improvement, no matter the improvement, we corrupt it. There's something about our sin, something about the stuff inside of us that it doesn't matter the improvement. We wind up corrupting the problem. We may make a better government, but it winds up being used towards human evil. We may wind up making amazing computers that are going to save us all this time, right? And only now all we do is stare at them, addicted to them because they're in our pocket. You know, we may be able to be make awesome planes and vehicles and all these different kinds of things only to realize that they're just gumming up the space and they're causing other kinds of new issues we didn't realize and or they're bringing diseases across countries faster than we could have imagined. You know, we got the internet and all it's done is increase the, the, the existence of pornography even in the homes of, of, of good godly families that don't want it there. See, we can look back at all these kinds of things, and we wonder, what were we thinking when we made it? Well, that's the same thing when we look back morally. When we look back at slavery, we go, what were we thinking? Maybe you look back at, at, at segregation, and we go, what were we thinking, right? That, that's, what, what were we thinking? We, go, we can improve. And it's that kind of what were we thinking mentality that makes us begin to go, hey, what could we do to improve? We could, we could do this even better, only to become the very people that other people look back on and go, what were they thinking? Like choir robes, what were they thinking? Right, okay, so we get the idea that we always seem to corrupt whatever improvement that seems to be. And what we may think it'll be better doesn't ever solve the real problem. What is that real problem? See, the real problem is our sin. It doesn't ever really solve the sin. You could educate the person, but they'd just become an educated sinner. We could give that person money, but it just makes them a a rich sinner. We could give them power, but they just become a powerful sinner. Guys, we just can't seem to solve the problem of sin. So where do we put our hope in? It's not going to come from technology. It's not going to come from education. It's not going to come from these places. Where do we go? I don't want to tell you where we go. We go to Christmas. It's because here at Christmas, we're going to celebrate the fact that because of Christmas, everything is improved and about to be made new. In this series, I just want to show this off. That because of Christmas, everything, my friends, everything is truly improved and about to be made new. And you're thinking, how can you make that statement, that claim? Well, guys, because when Jesus came, man, he ushered in something brand new. He ushered in something so incredible, so revolutionary that it's going to change everything and everything that we then do from there will be an improvement, a true improvement, a beautiful improvement. But here's the thing guys, we have to see that it comes from the Bible. It's not me making it up, it's actually coming straight out of the scriptures. So join me, grab your Bible, open up to Luke chapter one. Let me show you just how radical Christmas actually is. Luke chapter one, beginning in verse 26, you're coming into the Christmas story. Now, if you've heard it before, you read it before, Bear with me, I get it, we've all heard this, but I wanna open our eyes to a little bit more nuance in the text. See a little bit deeper, go a little bit further, and so it begins this way. It says, verse 26, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, because that's how angels talk. He will be great and will be called son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom. There will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And this is the critical point. That last word, how will this be since I am a virgin? Do you notice Luke emphasizes that fact a lot? I mean, he says it early on. He's telling them, he's telling us all, look, uh, that Gabriel came to a virgin who was betrothed to a man. He says the virgin's name was Mary. Mary even says, how can this be? I'm a virgin. This virgin focus is important because it was clear that this virgin was going to have a son named Jesus. This virgin Mary was going to have a child that was radically different because of how this child would be born. And in fact, this child was going to fulfill a prophecy from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah had come to a king and and was telling this king, listen, God's gonna give you any sign you want. If you just uh, ask him, and the king's like, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not testing God, this is ridiculous. And so God told him, he says, fine, I'll give you a sign. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. Now, uh, there's a lot of people out there who are going to tell you, look, that word virgin, that's not really virgin. It's actually uh, Alma, and it means uh, a young lady, and it doesn't really mean a virgin. And That's nice. When the Jewish people decided to translate their own Bible, the Hebrew Bible, into the Greek, they chose at this point not a word that wouldn't mean virgin, young lady, they chose the word that is virgin. And this is the same word we find in our text here in Luke. Yes, it was a fulfilled prophecy that this one who was to be born would be born of a virgin. That's how they viewed it at the time of, of Jesus. That's how we view it today. This was going to be one born of a virgin. And this was going to be the one, the Messiah, that they were hoping for. What's a Messiah? The Messiah means the anointed king of a line of David. You see, a Davidite king was one who was going to be of a grandchild of some kind of the King David, and this one King David was considered the greatest king of Israel. And so when he desired to make a temple for God, one day God said to him, you're not going to do that. I'll let Solomon do that. You are a man of war. You're not going to. But here's my promise to you, David. And he gives him this. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise you up for your offspring after you. "'Who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom? "'He shall build a house for my name, "'and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. "'I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son.'" And this is the idea. Every since that point, the, the, the next king of De, in the Davidic line was considered a son of God. Solomon was like a son of God. And so when he sins, God would chastise him, that kind of thing. He was to be an example and a representative of God on earth as the king of Israel. He was representing God for the people of Israel, Israel, and he was representing Israel for God. And so there was this intersection with the king. But this ultimately was going to be seen as one who truly was going to be the son of God, this Messiah who was coming in their mind, who's going to take out Rome, who's going to set up the Jewish religion as, as the religion of the world. He was going to bring about all of the world under the rule of Yahweh, their God. This is the beauty of what the Messiah was to do. And they were excited about him coming. They were expecting him to come. They were hoping that he would come. This was their hope just as we have all kinds of hopes. And in their hope, what they came to and they realized is that their Messiah was going to be one who's going to do these great things. But Jesus was more than they we're going to bargain for. Jesus was going to be far greater than this. Check, take a look. Let's continue. In fact, she says, well, how can this be since I'm a virgin? He says, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the son of God and behold your relative Elizabeth in her old age has already conceived a son in the sixth month with her and was born who is called barren for nothing will be impossible with God and Mary said behold I am the servant of the Lord let it be to me according to your word and the angel departed from her what I love about this is that the Holy Spirit is ready to do something incredible, something new. It says that he's going to over the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow her and that he's going to come upon her. Now, these are powerful terms because the Spirit of God is a, is a powerful life-giving spirit. I mean, just take your mind back a bit all the way to the beginning of the book of Genesis. And what we see is we see a very clear picture that in Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse um, verse 2, it says that the earth was without form and void, and this darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And what the Spirit of God was doing was about to bring forth everything God said, the light and the life on all of these things. The Spirit of God brings life. In fact, when He creates the man, He forms him out of the clay, it says in chapter 2. And then it says He breathed into His nostrils the breath or the ruach, the spirit of life. The Spirit of God brought about the original creation of humanity, of us as human beings. What He was doing here was bringing about another original creation, that's why he uses this very special language he says this is when he's going to overshadow you he says right he's going to come upon you this has no sexual terminology Muslims love to say it does in fact Mormons love to say it does no sexual terminology at all in fact we know this because the very same term come upon you as the power will come upon you is used in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 speaking to the Apostles The apostles will have the Spirit of God come upon them and then they'll speak the gospel of the nations because the Holy Spirit was doing a new creation called the church. You see, a new creation happens because God comes upon them with His Spirit. A new creation also happens because He's going to overshadow them. It's going to be a holy situation. So, Jesus was going to be holy without sin. And this was shown on the Mount of Transfiguration in the book of Luke when Peter and them come up to see Jesus there. They start to sin and say all this kind of stupid stuff, and the Spirit of God overshadows them as if the holiness is telling them, be quiet. And this is the point. The power of God is there to make a new creation. See, the child born is more than just the Messiah, the King, Son of God. No, He was the true Son of God. He was God's Son a a brand-new creation, the one who has eternal life within Him, the one who is already holy without sin. This is who would be born, the Messiah, Jesus. Oh, yes, He's God's Son, but it's even crazier than that. In fact, just take your Bible up for one more time, flip a few pages over to the end of chapter 3, the last verse. Already what's happened is Jesus has already been baptized and all this stuff by John, and he's way older now. He's 30-something. But suddenly Paul just, or Luke just kind of drops in the genealogy throws it right in there and ends with these terms. He says, the son of Nenos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. He literally says Adam, that original Adam, was the son of God. And he uses the same terminology, I believe he uses on purpose, because what he's trying to do is tell us that Jesus is the new humanity and our hope. Jesus is this new creation, this new humanity. The Spirit of God has made a completely new human being. Outside of our sin, outside of our death, outside of our brokenness, a new solution has come from the outside. See, we're of Adam. We're of the old humanity. We're of the old guy, the guy that was formed and the Spirit of God breathed in him. What he did is he sinned. He wanted to do it his own way. He broke his, he wanted to do it his own power. He wanted to have his own desires. And so we, he sinned and he plummeted us into sin. That's what Paul says. He says, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin. So death spread to all men because all sinned. Death came to us, sin came to us because Adam sinned. In other words, another place he puts it this way, for as in Adam all die. Guys, all of us who are from the original time period, the original Adam, part of the original humanity, we die and we know it. We know we're going to die. See, we can't fix the problem because that's what broke us in the first place. <laughs> we weren't supposed to touch and do stuff and make up our own code and write on, you know, as if we're like a say we're a computer. We can't just make up our own code and we break ourselves. That was the very action. So every time we try to get involved and and and, and fix our own problem is the very problem. We try to make it right. Adam did that, and when we try to do it ourselves, we break it even further. You can't stop sin. You can't overcome sin. Our hope against sin is that we have to have it come from outside. We need a new hope. We need a hope that can help us against death. We need a hope that can help us against sin. And we have tried and tried. Humanity over and over and over again looks for a hope to stop and break sin. We. Some of us have tried to find it in, in the system. And if we could just break the system and stop the system, then we will we'll be healed. I think of John Lennon's song, Imagine. And the lyrics, if, if you know them, are very clear. He says, imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. He goes on to say, imagine there's no countries. It's not hard to do, nothing to kill or die for. No religion too. You know, he says, okay, imagine there's no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger A brotherhood of man. He says, you may think I'm a dreamer. He's not the only one, right? He, he's giving a giant manifesto that we've got this, people if we would just get rid of the systems that mess us up, all the religions that mess us up, all the, all the countries that mess us up, all the possessions that mess us up. We just, just make everything same, same. Then we would have no sin. I, I just disagree. He's not going to overcome sin by getting rid of the system. He's not going to overcome sin by giving everybody money. You see, the problem is we begin to believe that, that, that poverty births sin. That's not it. And when we do, we want to give everybody's money away. When we think that richness births sin. And we think that they shouldn't have that much because that makes them greedy. Well, I've met greedy poor people. I've met greedy rich people. And I am at humble, content poor people and humble and content rich people. Sin has nothing to do with what I have or what I don't have. Sin has nothing to do with whether I'm educated or I'm not. Because if we think it's about a lack of something, we try to fill that up. But that's not going to fix it. What you just make is an educated sinner or a really uneducated sinner. You make a really rich sinner or a really really poor sinner. You make a really uh, powerful sinner or a really oppressed sinner. But you don't change the sinner. Those are categories that you can't fix with these things. And yeah, we've tried, man. We try to get rid of the system. We try to get rid of the stuff. We try to overcome death. This is the big thing right now. We've tried to overcome death with eating right and figuring out our biology and doing all these kinds of things. And lots of people are trying to fight off their own mortality. Right now, many of us are trying to keep ourselves alive in the middle of a, of all of this COVID stuff. And we think, man, if we could just add another hour to our day by controlling this thing, you can't control death. You can't, we can't do it. Technology is not going to control death. And I get it, there are gonna be people out there in the transhumanist perspective which is gonna try to claim that not only can we control death, we can improve humanity. We make ourselves bigger, better, greater. Fix the genome, fix the problem, baby. We can just overcome and then we'll be ready. Some say we should be able to download our brains into computers. In the future so that they can hold our knowledge and we can be okay like the more man way back in the day right some people have gotten to the point that unfortunately they, they've cried they've gotten into technology as their hope that they use cryogenics there was a this horribly heart-wrenching story of a one of a woman and a man from Thailand whose daughter at the age of three died of tumors and cancer and they took her brain and they had it cryogenically froze in a hope that one day she would, they would take that brain and put it back into a technologically advanced enough robot child or something that that child would come back to them. And they believe it's going to happen soon. Unfortunately, this is the level that we can get at in our desperation to overcome our sin. And these are noble. Guys, don't hear me, I'm not mocking. I believe it's noble to try to help people not sin. Whatever, when we thought it was education or finance, or whatever, we want to be noble in these quests, but our sin even messes up that. It messes up the technology, it messes up these things. And we become just further, because the bottom line is, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, It spreads to all men because all sinned. This is a ubiquitous problem. We all sin. So where's our hope? Again, it's in Christmas. Christmas changes everything because everything's about, improves everything. Christmas improves it all because everything's about to be made new. You see, Jesus is the new Son of God. He's the new humanity. He's the new start. He is the person born not of Adam, but of the seed of the woman. He's the one who's born outside of a new lineage. We get a new start, a new morality. He is holy it says the son of god without sin the son of god without sin the true king the true messiah the true one who is going to live forever just as the new adam brought about a new humanity or brought about humanity so now we have a new humanity see he died and rose from the dead jesus did and because death couldn't hold him. God raised him up, Peter said, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Death had no right because he's of a new humanity. The old humanity, us and Adam, we sinned and therefore we died. Jesus never sins, therefore Jesus can't be held by death. He is the king who is over death. He has defeated disease and decay, all of death's parts because he is the new humanity. As by Adam came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead, Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. You see, what He gives you and me is a hope. Christmas gives the new humanity. It's not a new category. It is something you and I get to enter into. We have a hope by being brought into the new humanity. We can be part of that new humanity because we've been given the promise to be part of it. In John chapter 1, John puts it this way, to all who did receive Him, receive Jesus, who believed in His name, His work on the cross, where He would bear humanity, old humanity's sin, and then rise from the dead... He gave us the right to become children of God, part of the new humanity. We were born not of the blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of a man, but of God. This is God's action to bring you part of the new humanity. It's called being born again reborn into a new human being, into a new humanity, one that is no longer corrupted by sin. So when you get that education, it's not corrupted anymore. When you get that opportunity to build a technology, it's not gonna lead you into destruction. No, when you get that power, you're gonna use it for the good of others. What we have is a new humanity without sin and a new humanity without death. And he says, here's how you gain this. You trust him, you believe. You believe in his work, you receive what he did. Say, so how am I supposed to trust God? I mean, God, really? I think if you're, if, you're, if you're not a believer in God, you're probably trusting something way more than I trust in God, at least for life. If you're trusting technology that's gonna download your brain into it and save you, I mean, haven't you checked lately? Technology glitches. Electrons, they mess around, man. Can you imagine you've downloaded your brain into that thing and only for a glitch and you're gone? That's a lot of trust. Or how about trusting just human scientists who we know get it wrong all the time? They're little, they, they may get it right for a little while, but how many times have we overturned scientists in the past seeing that what they had was only a part of the problem, but it's so much bigger now? Or how about this one? If you're going to trust the uh, government, how, I mean, just go to the DMV. Okay, enough said, right? Okay, so here's the point. God's way more faithful. Let me just give you a couple promises. God promised that all humanity would die. Hasn't gone back on that one yet. All of us in Adam are dying. That's a promise that's been a guarantee. I'll give you a different one. Abraham was promised to be a blessing to the nations. An obscure man in the middle of the Middle East, 4,000 years ago or longer, was promised that he would be a well-known person in all the world. He is the most well-known man and he has been a blessing and his ethics have been a blessing through Jesus to the nations. Their teachings are everywhere. It's on every continent and every everywhere that we go. The teachings of Jesus are the most impactful moral teachings of the world. It is a blessing to the nations. Jesus' resurrection was promised, and indeed it happened. You can go back and look at the historical events and go through that process, go back to some of our Easter series, and you'll hear just how much evidence there is of the resurrection of Jesus. God lays down His promises over and over and over again. And what you and I have is the promised guarantee that God is going to rebirth you. He gave us Jesus, and He gives you this promise. The question is just this what are you putting your hope in? It can't be your money, <laughs> it can't be your government. Is so it really technology or education? What are you putting your hope in to really deal with the corruption, the sin, the wickedness, and the brokenness? The only way to deal with that is to allow Jesus to transform you and renew you, to put you into the new humanity where sin and death are overcome and judgment is done. And if you would like to receive that and become a child of God, enter into the new humanity and enjoy this Christmas because he's made you new, then I wanna give you the chance to do that right now. You can simply trust him and let him know by bowing your head with me right now. Just do this, say, God in heaven, I know that I have sinned and I know that I am a part of Adam and I'm destined to die. But I trust that Jesus, you bore my sins on the cross and you rose from the dead. And I trust that you are making me new. Would you bring me to new life? Would you lead me through the rest of this one that I would enjoy being part of the new humanity? In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, I wanna invite you to let us know. Simply uh, text the word BEGIN to the number at the bottom of the screen, and we will get a hold of you and get you some information, a Bible and some stuff, so that you can begin this journey of knowing God better. Hey, if you uh, would like another way, you can simply say, hey, I, I made this decision. Click that little hand there and right there actually on this live shot or let somebody know at another time on our website. We would just want to help you begin that journey. Otherwise, church, all the branch want to challenge you is we love, live, and share Christ. In the middle of all this stuff, let's not get caught into putting our hope into government or money or these things. Just remember we've been made new. The sin is taken care of. So let's live out Christ now. Let's share Him with those around us. I pray that God blesses you this week and I can't wait to continue in as we see that Christmas indeed improves everything because everything's about to be made new.